everyone. Welcome to King's Talk presented by Captivity Crown. This is Tony. With me, as always, we've got John. Since the last time we've talked, the Kings have gone 3-0, extending their winning streak from one to four games in that time period that we were away from you. Funny enough, the Kings went from a four-game losing streak to a four-game winning streak. Harrison Barnes as Player of the Week material didn't win it, but hey, getting nominated for the award after not really doing much all season, that's pretty crazy. So things are looking up for the Kings. It's interesting because... Mike Brown said, despite the fact that it was a four-game losing streak in the mix of this, Mike Brown said that he's been really happy with the way his team's been playing since Detroit, which would constitute the last 10 games, which they've gotten six and four in. Obviously, won two, lost four, have now won four. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing to look at because, I mean, why would Mike Brown say that? Part of it could obviously have something to do with Harrison Barnes playing really well. I think he's been playing really well since Milwaukee. A couple other guys have been stepping up, and you've got a nice mix of kind of impacts. But just on the whole, I mean, like this whole season, the Kings are 14th with a 116.8 offensive rating, 115.9 defensive rating at 19th in the league for a net rating of 0.9. But over the last 10, their offensive rating is up to 119.5. Their defensive rating is down to 114.9 making for a net rating of 4.6, which is the seventh best in that span. So the Kings are playing far better in terms of getting a lot out of their offense. I mean, in the last 10 games, they're a top 10 offense, and they're a top 10 defense in that span too. So it's interesting with the trade deadline coming up, especially with all the talk that we've done over the last month and a half. And it's just like, if ever there was an argument to be made that this team could do something on its own. It's probably these last 10 games. And of course, that doesn't really include the fact that maybe the trade market isn't as open and that certain moves have been made between teams not including the Sacramento Kings thus far. But it's interesting kind of looking at these last 10 because despite the four-game losing streak and the couch in the middle of it, they, they have been playing very well. We talked a lot last week about are we being too negative? There's reasons to be positive. What about you uh, this week? Yeah, I mean, four-game winning streak, right after a four-game losing streak, I mean, I think that shows a little bit of uh, that resiliency that we saw last year, and just Harrison Barnes' play, and, and Kevin Herter's as well, has just been, it's just been awesome. I mean, they're, they're the guys we've been talking about wanting to trade them because they don't fit into the offense, Herter's too streaky, and they kind of just come right back at us, and Harrison Barnes, like I said, gets nominated for Player of the Week. Throwing up 32 points against the, um, who did he score 32 against? The Hawks? No. Yeah. The Hawks? Yeah. 32 against the Hawks, 39 against the Warriors, 20 against the Mavericks, and a little quieter game against, who did they play on Monday? Memphis. Why am I blanking? Yeah, Memphis. A little quieter, but still, he's been playing well. Herder has been shooting the ball a lot better. And it's kind of make it, makes an interesting point, or like a thought. It's like, okay, (laughs) it's like Monty and the Kings front office looking at their play as of late and thinking, okay, well, we can keep them now. Or is it just like perfect? Like they're really raising their trade value. Let's get rid of them and try to sell high on them now. Do do you you have an idea where you think he's leaning with them, trading them now? I think that because you're, I mean, it's obviously a good thing that that Barnes and Herder are playing well. For two reasons that you laid out, they could either raise their value basically and set up for a trade or they're playing well and the Kings are going to roll with what they got for the rest of the season. And I kind of think it's that last one. And I think a lot of the reason for that is just the fact that, you know, the big trades that have gone down this season that the Kings have been involved in, in terms of talks, have not gone their way. And we've resorted a lot to talking about Kyle Kuzma, who could be a good fit. I mean, a lot of there's a lot of reasons to, to, to like the fit between the Kings and Kuzma. But there's also a lot of questions. Questions that you didn't necessarily have with Ananobi and Siakam. You know, questions that you never had when you traded for Sabonis, really, if you thought about it. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, given, given the circumstances, maybe the Kings can make smaller moves or something like that but maybe no big moves where they're having to move a ton of money around or having to move guys like Barnes or Herter around and so it's it's interesting it's like does them playing better precede that kind of realization or does it come afterwards you know did they did they mm-hmm. kind of settle on that decision oh because they are playing well like oh, okay let's settle a bit more on that 
Or was there some kind of internal dialogue in the organization where it's like, no, we are going to kind of roll with you at this point. And it just sparked, you know, something underneath them or something like that. I mean, it's it's interesting. I think it's interesting to kind of go through each player between Herder and Barnes because it's a little different because, you know, Barnes goes in there. He's got two 30-plus point games in there, including a career high at 39 in Golden State. Just coming out of nowhere, Mike Brown calls more plays for him in that Warriors game than he's called for him all season, according to the head coach himself. And it just takes you back, kind of thinking about these last four games where he's just been tearing it up. And is all of a sudden, when last week we were talking about Harrison Barnes not really fitting in with the style of the King's office, that that, that kind of you got to go out there and get your own shots and kind of get them within the flow and kind of be a little aggressive while patient at the same time. It's a delicate balance that didn't seem like Harrison Barnes was doing extremely well in, in terms of offensive production. You know, a week later, now all of a sudden he does. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there has been a concerted effort to get him a little bit more involved. I think in that Hawks game, he got off to a good start, got a little aggressive, played well, hit some shots. Guys, Other guys weren't shooting well. It opened up opportunities to call plays for him. And then it was more so that in the Warriors game because Barnes was just lighting it up. And it's just like, okay, so it was kind of more about with Barnes. It was kind of a lot of that was in the control of the coaches. I mean, I think with just Barnes, it just kind of goes to show what we talked about like a couple weeks ago. It's just about the amount of plays you call for him or not, because in the small amount of games where they have called plays for him and allowed him to kind of do his thing in terms of the offensive side of the floor, he's done extremely well. So it kind of seems to just come down to that at this point. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, we've been saying it all year that Barnes hasn't looked as well because he's gone from being the third option to the fifth option. And are they utilizing Barnes correctly? If they're not utilizing him correctly, like should they just trade him at this point? And I think Barnes brings up a good point just by the, the way he's been playing. Like, Do the Kings really need to go through him a little more to win games? I mean, 32 and 39 points after he throws up like two of his three 20 shot attempt games in the Sacramento tenure. And he's, he scores very efficiently. It's like, why aren't they getting more involved? I get it. Brown says it's not in the flow of the offense. Well, maybe they need to make it (laughs) within the flow of the offense. I mean, they still put up 122 points against Atlanta and 134 against the Warriors in games where Barnes was getting plays called for him and where he had over 20 shot attempts a game or in those games. Is it misco? Is it just mismanagement <laughs> at this point? Clearly, there's room for Barnes to to have a, a bigger role in the offense, and yeah, I think if you're asking if there's a bit of mismanagement, I mean, it seems so clear that it comes down to the amount of play calls for Barnes from the coaching staff. I mean, it all comes down to them. They they seem to have full control of this. And what was the thing that was different? Okay, well, maybe Barnes was a little bit more aggressive in that first game against the Hawks, like, but like we've seen him be aggressive and have have good starts to games and then kind of just peter out for the last three quarters of the game or the second half or whatever. It's about kind of keeping tapping into that. And you just mix all that together. You know, you combine some early, early confidence, maybe some early play calls with some sustained play calls throughout the game. Well, all of a sudden you've got a a pretty moderate, but sizable uh, contributor in the score column. When Harrison Barnes is also, which would be, we've given him credit for over the last couple of weeks, you know, talking about his trade value or what he does with the team. It's like he does do stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. So when you do combine that with the, the thing, that's the most immediate thing you see on the stat sheet. It's like, Oh, now all of a sudden he's kind of living up to what he's, what he's being paid in terms of what he does out on the floor. Mm-hmm. So it does come down to the coaching staff. It doesn't really seem like Barnes was just like, Oh, well, I'm just going to start scoring points. I mean, it was clearly like, Oh, maybe we should uh, give the old guy a couple uh, a couple more calls. <laughs> and, you know, he's converted very well on those. Uh, I just i am interested to see how we go forward. It still seems like Barnes wouldn't be the one to be moved uh, between Barnes and Herter. Barnes kind of, he's a little more, uh, what's the word? <laughs> like, I can't think of it. Where he can play different positions. What is that? Versatile. <laughs> Versatile. Thank you. You mean you mean the word the word we say ten times a podcast? Yeah, exactly. Barnes is a little more versatile. You know, you can argue he's just as good as a three pointer as Kevin Herter is. 
and a better defender. And I feel like he plays a tougher position, a position you might not be able to find guys um, like you could find at Herder's position for a replacement. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, I mean, it's about a week away now, week from tomorrow on Thursday. Yeah, it's, it's coming up. Yeah. It's coming up big time. You're probably right. I think the size and versatility and probably the championship experience maybe make him a little less likely to be moved if you're looking at him and Herder. But I think one of the things, too, that's interesting about Barnes is I think that he he's a little bit more reliable. Like, oh, if it's just coming down to play calls for him, you know, it's, it's within the coach's control. True. It's a far more controllable thing. I think it's far more likely that he's going to be able to score 15 to 18, maybe 20 points a game throughout the season going into the playoffs and, and be a, contri- you know, a, a consistent contributor. I think Kevin Herter, it's not so, it's not so certain because one of the big questions we've had with Kevin Herter since, you know, about, I think even January of last year, January, February of last year was, is his conditioning fit for the level of usage that he has and the level of uh, energy he has to utilize throughout everything he does out on the floor for Mike Brown. I mean, he, to his credit, he's playing extremely well. I think he's shooting 39% in January. I think he's shooting 48% in the last seven games. He's had a lot of fourth quarter threes that have been critical, at least just in the last two in Dallas and in Memphis. He seems like he hit some big threes. He's he's hitting some threes early, setting the tone. He's looked far more like that that two guard that you're like, okay, this guy's actually can help you win win basketball games against really good teams and compete at a high level. And, you know, you've also seen him kind of limit any mistakes on defense. I mean, he'll have like maybe a blow by or so here or there, but it seems far less than what was going on maybe in like December or whatever. And he's also kind of revved it up on the rebounding aspect again, which he's done really well all season. But it seems like this is kind of a second stint of like really, really good rebounding. But like that second stint is important to note because it's like, you know, earlier this season, Kevin Herter was kind of doing a little mini stretch of this. He was climbing out of a shooting slump. He was he was limiting his bad moments on defense. He was not as much under a negative spotlight on that end of the floor, at least from us, from our standpoint. And you were seeing him rebound like crazy, getting clutch rebounds late in the game, all of that. And then it kind of like he, everything kind of settled down again, and maybe the wheels loosened on him a little bit. And eventually he, he got benched for a few games. Maybe that was a good reset for him. But it's like he's playing well now on this stretch, but it's like, is this sustainable? I think that always is going to be the question with Kevin Herter, especially when you left last season and you came into this season going, is this guy's conditioning fit for the role that he really needs to play at a high level for this team? It seems like it comes down to that. Is it is it sustainable for Herter to be able to do this? I mean, it doesn't seem that way in comparison to Barnes, but even on his own. I'm not so sure. I mean, how long does it take before the wheels fall off of Herter, or is he just going to do this for the rest of the mm-hmm. year? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. <laughs> We only have one season with Herder, so it's hard to say. But if it's anything like last season, he's going to fall off. And you think about what Herder does really well. I mean, of course, he shoots well. But a lot of the things that he does well, both on defense and offense and just in little things, it requires him running hard. You know, he runs hard around the perimeter on a DHO or around a screen or on a curl or something. He runs so hard to create as much space as he can. And he does a good job of that. He runs hard to the corners up the floor. He'll run hard to rotate from the weak side to help on defense. You know, he, he Mike Brown always talks about his his sense of pace and the way he runs hard and whatnot. A lot of it relies on that. He's also a shooter. That relies on a lot of power generated from the legs. The questions of sustainability become pretty dire when you start to consider all of this. His shortcomings in the past and what really he needs from those legs of his to do what he needs to do. So, yeah, it's just one of those things with Herder where it's like, you know... I'll believe it when I see it, and at least in terms of a long-term, consistent thing. And it also kind of raises a question where it's like, well, maybe the Kings know that, and, and, and I'm not so sure this is really a real thing, but if you're talking about maybe advertising a guy before the trade deadline, and you know whatever, I think it was Michael Scotto said the Bulls were doing intel on Herder, you, you must think other teams are doing intel on Herder and other players. So teams are seeing this and they're seeing him go off. Maybe the Kings are like, yeah, well, we'll get him, get him in a good 10, 12 game stretch and then yeah. we'll ship the guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't necessarily. It'd be a little case. Same with Barnes too. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, he always has a lull. Yeah, he does always. Usually around this time too. 
So it is interesting that he's been playing well because I it's usually like before the trade deadline, before the all-star break. It's when he really kind of hits his slump. But it's also the first time. Shoot, I'm like looking at his stats since the third year in his since his third year in the league, where he's averaging under 30 minutes a game. So maybe Barnes is just, or maybe Brown's mm. just saving him. Maybe he's just saving his legs a little as well to keep him fresh and deeper into the deeper into the the season and into the postseason. And maybe that's why he's not been so incorporated in the offense. Again, I don't know if this is true. These are just maybe some guesses, but. Maybe they're trying to save him, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough to really kind of guess on that end, but it's just like with both Herder and, and Barnes, there are two clear narratives that arise. It's like with Barnes, it's like, oh, a lot of that's within the coach's control. With Herder, how sustainable is this? Those are kind of the two main storylines that, that come up there. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be interesting with the trade deadline coming up because, I mean, we've talked so much maybe over the last six, seven weeks just about like, yeah, they got to, you know, <laughs> I don't know how they're going to move these guys. They're going to move these guys soon. And I mean, I still think that's necess- That's kind of true in terms of like the big picture of a championship, uh, being a championship contender. But the circumstances are a little different now than then. And it doesn't really seem like it's as ripe of a moment for a move. But I guess we'll see. It'd be interesting. Do you have like any gut feelings or any kind of wishes? For, for the trade deadline regarding Herter and Barnes? Mm, I mean, I, I hope Herter gets moved. Uh, I just don't think he's... I, I could see... I mean, Barnes has been a part of a championship-winning team. As a starter, again, this might have been a long time ago in his career, but at least he's shown it, and he's still a versatile piece, and there's that word versatile piece for this lineup. And in the NBA today... Or Herder, he's a great shooter, and although that's a coveted piece, he just doesn't seem like... Uh, I, th- I think Herder has just shown us that if he's in your starting lineup or any starting lineup, that's not necessarily a championship team. A playoff contender, but I don't know about a championship contender, especially with his inconsistency and his defense. So Barnes just seems to fit a little more, so I'd be happier to hold on to him. He plays a tougher position to replace, in my opinion, as well. So, I I just think it's time to move on to Herder. And maybe not get rid... I don't want to just like, I right, just trade Herder just for the hell of it. But I think you, you really need to test that market out a little more than Barnes's. And if you can get a little upgrade, then so be it. And even if it's like a little... I don't know. You kind of need a 3 and D guy at that shooting guard position. But uh, any wing presence helps. So, we'll see. Well, kind of moving, I guess, closer to like trade talks and whatnot. Sam Amick, I think, mentioned in an article last week that like reiterated what has been reported before and what maybe maybe people thought and were thinking, which is, you know, Sacramento's expressed interest in Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal in Brooklyn, two guys that you've talked a lot about. So, you know, uh, through the last two months or whenever kind of trade discourse picks up. And I think this kind of comes up again and again because at this point it seems more and more clear that if a move's going to get made in the in the coming weeks with the trade deadline, it's going to be a more moderate to smaller size move. These guys kind of fit that bill. They're already kind of near the top of the list in terms of kind of real, somewhat realistic trade targets. And I mean, I don't know. We just finished talking about Herder and stuff like that. I don't. I don't know if you'd have to. Would you have to give up Herder for any of those guys? I mean, with like money uh, uh, situation, probably. I believe so. So, would you feel? I guess like so. Like my first question with that would be like, would you feel comfortable with either of those guys starting at the two? Um, at the two, I don't know. Like, let's say you ended up with both of them, but you ended up losing her. Yeah, you could probably start O'Neal at the two and be okay with it. Or Finney Smith, or even Murray. I mean, at that point, I, I think it kind of just brings in, like, what we've talked about, is having that versatility between the two and the four positions. I think either of them could fill that role really well. They're more, like, they're more forwards, I would say, than shooting guards, but I think they could all defend the two through the four, and that's what really matters, right? So, 
And they're all excellent, or they're both excellent shooters, and everyone in those positions between Finney Smith, O'Neal, Murray, and Barnes are great shooters as well. So, I mean, I, I would be happy with it for sure because I, I've said, like, I think we have the scoring down. It just needs to be that defense, and they'd both they'd both be defensive upgrades over Herder, although they're both 30 years old. O'Neal's on an expiring contract, and I believe Finney Smith has one more year on his. So you'd also take a gamble. And say if you only get O'Neal, you'd be like you have Herder for what one more year after this one. O'Neal's walking at the end, unless you get Finney Smith. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't know. It, it seems like everyone's a high seller now too, and I think it's all for talk, right? I yeah, think everyone's not? all talk too. It's like we want. Like I think they were like asking for like two first rounders for Dorian Finney Smith. Right? It was something outrageous. I'm like, okay. Let's be real here. <laughs> no one is giving up that much for Dorian Finney-Smith. I mean, he's great 3 and D guy, and that's exactly what everyone needs in this league, but no one's giving up that much. And, and I mean, Monty's not even giving up one first-rounder for these guys, so I, I don't know. I, I still don't even know if they're realistic because I feel like someone will be desperate enough, like one of those win-now teams, to go after them and be like, okay, give up the first-round pick where the Kings... And they're just not that desperate at this moment. So I, I don't know. I, I don't really see getting anyone at this deadline at the end of the day. No one big, even moderate size trades. I think it'll be super. Like, if you have to give up a first round pick, unless it's, again, maybe a Kyle Kuzma or that caliber player, like a legit starter, 20 points per game guy, I just don't see Monty pulling, pulling the trigger. Yeah. Because I think everyone's going to be too expensive, and they're going to have they're going to get outbid on the big guys or even the moderate guys unless they attach a first round pick. Because I mean, O'Neal and Finney Smith. I mean, I feel I could to, for to get both of them. I could see the Nets easily getting at least one first rounder in a package deal with those guys. Yeah, I mean, and when you factor in, it's like yeah, the interchangeability on defense and the the three point shooting's great and all, but it's like older. I guess thirty oh, on the other side of thirty, one year deals or expiring contracts. It's just a, that's a that's a move that a team that's on the cusp of winning makes. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we're we're just one small piece away, and I just think the Kings are a little bit more zoomed out than that. So it it does it, it doesn't make sense. It, but I will say, if you could pull off a move to get one of those guys or both and bolster your rotation, I think that would be huge because one of the things that I think. Either one of those guys would provide instantly, without a doubt, the type of presence that we were talking about Vizenkov maybe providing, which is being that other power forward off the bench that lends you the extra body to utilize the full extent of Trey Lyles' versatility by playing Lyles at the five, or using him as a small five. And you've seen Brown kind of seem like he he wants to go to to, to Lyles the small five there's certain matchups where that works I mean I think they did that against the Warriors all game it worked out there's times where he'll go to a center in the first half but won't go in the second half or won't go as long in the second half and go with Lyles for a little bit and sometimes I still wonder if he'd go more to that if he really did have that extra piece so thinking about solid veterans that can come in and make a rotational impact and give you that sort of service i guess and and, and allow you to expand the versatility of the rotation you use i mean that would be great but again it's like feasibly getting that deal done seems unlikely especially given the fact that whatever deal it is it's the type of deal again that a win now like we're trying to win a championship tomorrow type of of situation is going to make so it makes it difficult i mean as much as they're enticing and they make a lot of sense and they do can't just trade a few second rounders yeah get a haul <laughs> yeah i mean to get both of them you're at least giving up a first round pick there's no way you can unless you just like trade herder and barnes for them at least they have some years left on their contracts but i don't know i think that's too big of a change up mid-season just to bring in two guys and get rid of two of your starters maybe maybe herder and davion if Monty can figure it out without giving up too much, then, yeah, I mean, like you said, they fit in so perfectly. It just seems like a lot of people would want them, though, and that the Kings would get outbid. And that's where Monty can't give up too much to try to bid with these guys that are more desperate because we're not there yet. It's just tricky. This, this, the circumstances just don't set up for 
any type of move to be made mm-hmm. really not yet and like it's so funny because it's like when you think about you think about this conversation getting brought up again because Amit goes yeah they've expressed interest you're like no shit <laughs> yeah. they've expressed interest I'm sure there's a lot of teams that have expressed <laughs> yeah. interest it's just a nice little nugget to throw in there that shows up on like hoops rumors and hoops hype all these places where they consolidate king's news mm-hmm. just like oh great look at that they're gonna they're gonna get them they're gonna trade for they're them getting, they're gonna do put them in the king's jerseys coming over they're trading for lebron i thought an interesting guy and this is i think this is a total monty move i don't know if i texted you this or not i think i did uh i believe he's on the charlotte hornets frank and pardon me because i always don't know how to say his name because it looks just very uh Hard to say. Frank Nitalikina or something. You know what I'm talking about? Nitalikina? Yeah, it's something. It's French. Well, it's not French, but he's French. He was like a high draft pick. I believe in Fox's draft. Very, I think he's like a seven foot wingspan for like a point guard, for like a 6'4 guy, 6'5 guy. I mean, for being a lottery pick, he hasn't done much in the league. But I just feel like he's just like he's on the Hornets. He's not doesn't have like a place on the Hornets long term. He's still a good defender. To me, he just reeks of a guy that Monty would try to go after, try to bolster that defense a little. Because I mean, seven foot wingspan, he can even though he's more of a guard, he can try to switch, try to get him out there in smaller lineups. Probably guard a small forward or so. Although he's not like a good three point shooter or anything, but. I mean, especially if you try to move Davion too for something, I think he could be a good defensive guy off the bench uh, for the guard spot. So that's just some guy I kind of thought of, and that's kind of the moves that I think the Kings or in Monte McNair will more likely pull the trigger on for maybe a second round or a couple second rounders and uh, some guys at the bottom of the bench that don't get too much playing time. So. Just a thought. Yeah, I think that's definitely the that's a good good thinking. I mean, he's like a longer Keon Ellis that doesn't shoot as well, maybe. Yeah, basically. I, I'm not sure if I was the Kings if I'd rather have him over Davion, but if there was some move where you could get a little extra for Davion and end up with this guy or something like that, I mean, yeah, I think it's an interesting name that I could see that maybe if there was like a multi team deal, like this guy just ends up in the Kings' lap for nothing. Yeah. Something like that. I could I could I could buy that. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Kessler Edward move last year. Just like, okay, buy low. He's still only twenty five years old. Like maybe he's like maybe maybe he can become something here. Maybe he can be that defensive guy that he was touted as as that, that lottery pick when he was nineteen. So Frankie Smokes. Frankie yeah, I'm looking at it right now too. The franchise. <laughs> the French Prince. The French the French Prince of Bel Air, Frank Neely. Frankie Smokes. I'd be calling him Frankie Smokes. Neely Kina. Trying to pronounce that's, that. that's a lot better. Neely Kina. Neely Kina. It just looks like daunting to say. It's like NT. It's just like the NT right there. It's like what? I'd just be calling him Andre Nicotina. <laughs> Nicotina. Like Frank Nicotina. It's Andre Nicotina. That's the move McNair is going to make. Something. Something that you're just going to like. You're just going to be at the trade deadline next Thursday, just just looking at your phone on Twitter, just just watching Shams and Waj, and just like, all right, any second now, any second, and they're going to pop up the Waj bomb. The Kings trade for this guy, and it just never comes. <laughs> That's exactly how Thursday's going to be. The Kings trade yeah. David Michino and cash considerations for Kessler Edwards. It's like who? I've never heard of this guy. You're gonna get a you're gonna get a report. It's like the Kings traded the Dallas Mavericks twenty dollars for their next three pieces of pizza. Yeah. It's like what? Like what is this like school lunch? Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like in uh it's a, in the, like the movie Moneyball, where it's like yeah we want this guy and we also want you to pay for our vending machine. Like no way that was real, right? <laughs> But who knows? Maybe what, no, what who cash knows what considerations the age, so. means? Yeah, for real, and maybe it seems like, like a cash nice considerations. Thing to do. We need you to. We need you to pay the salary of our whole dance team this year. <laughs> we did not budget for that. That's a good point, right? Is that what it is? Like, what does cash considerations <laughs> mean? That'd be so funny. I read one time a baseball like, player got traded for a Thanksgiving turkey. 
Yeah, I mean, like, didn't somebody get traded for a bag of chips? Yeah. Or is that just a... <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. But it's like in those books you read in school. It's like crazy, but true. But they seem like, well, they want to lie about this. That's what McNary's going to do. Well, it's Easter's coming up, so... Well, St. Patty's Day's coming up. You you buy a 12-pack of Guinness for the team. Everyone gets one that's actually on the... That can play in a game any given night. And, uh... And you get uh you get Sasha Vesenkov. There you go. <laughs> you can have Luke Lux. There you go. They were just gonna get a report like detailing Monty McNair selling a car. I think he's just he's buying a used car. Like Monty McNair just completed a twelve thousand dollar purchase for a Toyota Sienna. No, even <laughs> twenty eighteen. <laughs> just that's just the report. <laughs> that's like it. Yeah, yeah. it's like oh, good for him, I guess. I could see Monty just like really because Vivek's never gonna go over like the salary cap, so he, he just like working at a car dealership on the weekends. Yeah, trying to bring in money <laughs> so we can sign OG in the in the off season. That's like hella funny because I could actually see Monty McNair being a car dealership guy. He's like, yeah, let's uh, take a seat in my office. Let me, let me look at this. And he's just staring at his computer for five minutes, setting up this this price that's egregious. Yeah. <laughs> Just Aaron breathing out of his nose. Okay, so what we're looking at is, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, about thirty-two, uh, thirty-two grand, I think, with all the upgrades, uh, probably pretty good. Like that's exactly how he talked. He's like, that's, uh, you think that's good? He'd be like giving a thumbs up. Like that's good. You think that? We want to sign the sign the dotted line. It's pretty good. Like, all right, thanks, Monty. Yeah, I, I trust Monty at uh, Ed Sullivan Ford. That's my favorite guy. Tell him, tell him I sent you. Yeah, go there on Saturdays. You'll probably see him in his puffer vest and everything, just working the lot, just looking for the next sucker. <laughs> He's like, okay, all right. So we don't, that actually does not come in a hybrid form, but what I can give you for that price is a guy by the name of David Michino. <laughs> exactly. He's got like his draft rights there in a folder. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, trust me. <laughs> this, this guy's got gas mileage out the wazoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness that's probably exactly how he talks to people uh, or to other gms too <laughs> try to upsell him he doesn't look like much but this sucker can run this puppy <laughs> it's harrison barnes he might look old but this you can teach this old dog new tricks yeah or he could just he could just rip off the kyle draper line it's like he may not always answer when you call but he's always on time <laughs> <laughs> like what does that fucking mean <laughs> Kyle Draper you want to explain that one to me I, oh my goodness I don't. I never know how to feel about Kyle Draper he, he called the game against uh, he probably calls a lot of games I don't listen to but he called the game against um, who did they play last night why do I keep blanking the Grizzlies it's such a boring game they, yeah they better win <laughs> they have their G League team out here at this rate um just like listening to him. I, like, I don't know how to feel about you. Like you seem like a nice guy, but you don't seem qualified for this job. And should I be questioning that? He gives off like weekend with the dad vibes. Like yeah. The dad that doesn't know what to do with you, the kids. That's just like Yes. <laughs> yes. Like should we should should he have the kids by himself? <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> oh my god, that guy's a trip. Uh, he's having the seven year old pump gas. I don't think we should be trusting yeah. him. With the kids. <laughs> it's like kind of funny, but kind of unsafe and unprofessional. <laughs> Dude, it's your boy Drapes. What are you going to do? <laughs> I love it when he says that. Okay, it's your boy Drapes. Back back to uh, back to David Michino. David Michino and the Sacramento Kings. Can he lead them to a championship? We're going to find out this Friday night. Well, you know, we were talking about Herder and Barnes playing well. You know, a guy that we've been talking about playing well all season, except for recently, is Malik Monk, who I just want to point out over his last six games is scoring 8.5 points per game, which is almost half of what he's averaging this season on 36.2% from the field, 22.7% from three, and 63.2% from the free throw line. His assist numbers are about the same, but he's had three turnovers in each of the last three games, and he's had some really silly ones, and then he'll kind of bunch them together, which is kind of normal for him, I guess. 
But the missed free throws are kind of a big thing, including two that he missed in Dallas late in the game when the Kings were closing that one out. Critical ones, and he, he had an empty trip to the line. But it's like, okay, you look at the struggles overall, and you kind of center in on the free throw issues. I think a thing that's really interesting to note is that when I talk about the last six games, seven games ago was the Milwaukee game. So these last six games is every game since he missed those two free throws in Milwaukee in overtime. You know, Monk's obviously a confident guy. He's really good. He's one of the best at what he does in the league. He's going to get paid a lot of a lot of money this summer. But it's like, is there some psychological thing going on here? I mean, is it is it personal? Is it just him getting tied into the free throw struggles of the team and kind of letting that manifest itself in other ways? What's going on? Is this just a normal slump that he's going to climb out of in a couple of games and we're going to forget about it? I mean, it's just really interesting that it stems back to that moment because that was such a take-the-wind-out-of-you moment, not just for the people watching, but for him it must have been, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It, it is interesting that everything kind of started going downhill for him after that moment. But Monk has demonstrated, at least during his Kings tenure, that he is a streaky guy, not as much this year as he was last year, but as history says, it's bound to repeat itself. So I, I, I'm not too worried. I mean, maybe he's getting a little tired too. This is a time of the season where we're nearing the all-star break in a few weeks and guys are getting tired and maybe that just kind of didn't help out the cause either, him missing those two free throws in such a critical moment. I, I'm not too worried about Monk. It is frustrating, but hey, the Kings have won four straight. Even though the, the stem six games ago, they're they're four and two in these games. So I don't think it's the biggest thing to worry about. I, I don't think Monk is gonna just those of eight points a game the rest of the season. It just doesn't seem like him. He'll break out of the slump. Hopefully, it doesn't last all the way to the All Star break. I don't think it will. But guys go through little slumps. I mean, we just saw Fox go through one and. He's kind of out of it already again. Like you, <laughs> that was a big topic last week, and now it's like, yeah, we didn't have to talk about that. So I just think that's all it is. You you pegged it right. I mean, the consistency thing has always been a thing with Monk, and it, the fact that it hasn't surfaced too much this season is kind of the reason he's had such a especially good year. Probably not much to it, but it does. It's just kind of an interesting thing when you pair it together with the fact that it's like. We talk a lot about like the team's free throw numbers or like bottom of the league. And it's just like, how do you work on that? Like you always, I always get worried when it comes down to like free throws and things like that, the psychological stuff. And maybe this doesn't extend and affect him in any way that is prolonged. Or maybe it does in minor ways that we don't really see, you know? And it's just like, I guess it's just, it's interesting. Like when you get into that kind of mud, how are the Kings going to climb out from the bottom of the league in free throw percentage? It's like, I don't know. Can they? Like, it just seems like such a muddy place to be. So it's just, like, kind of interesting mm-hmm. to note. I mean, clearly, I think Monk's going to be fine. But it is also fascinating, given the fact that it's, like, Monk has played, like, the third best player on the team. And I've made the point where it's, like, a lot of the Kings' bad losses coincide with Malik Monk having bad performances. But it's, like, okay, he's had six bad performances. And as you pointed out, they've got four and two, including just winning the last four. It's, like, hey, you know, I guess it was a good time for, for him to start going through these struggles because... We spent 20 minutes talking about Barnes and her playing better, and, and Fox is even kind of getting it back on the right track over the last few games. Uh, Sabonis has been killing mm-hmm. it over the last two months. So, I mean, yeah, it's probably just a normal slump, but it kind of came at a good time when you actually consider everything. Yeah, it really did. And, I mean, the Kings started this road trip 3-0, and too, which is really important because it was a it's like a daunting road trip ahead, and even with Monk playing bad, the Kings are still 3-0. and And, I mean, they play the Miami Heat tonight, and the Heat have lost seven straight. Right. They could easily make this four straight wins. But it's always funny. Everyone's, every every time the Kings play like a team without half their team or on a big losing streak, everyone's always like, all right, so we lose this one by 20, right? Because <laughs> it just seems so Kings-like. Even that Grizzlies game was like, this should not be this close, <laughs> you know. I mean, they won; it was fine, but it's like, come on. Yeah, they Philly don't have anybody. In, yeah, Philly without Embiid, the Hornets <laughs> losing like eleven straight or something. Yeah, right, right. yeah. You could go. The list goes on and on. Same with that. I mean, the same with that Pistons game. A little like weren't the Pistons up after one? Yeah, they like scored like forty five points in the first quarter. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, they did against Memphis the the other night, fucking allowing like yeah. thirty four points to them. They shot like the lights out from three. Yeah, crazy. So anything can happen. Anything can happen. Scary Terry's now on Miami. He That's loves carving right. up the Kings. I think the last time the Kings played in Miami, Tyler Hero did not get called for that travel. Yeah, dude, that was like I feel like we played the Heat like pretty early twice last twice season. last year. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was like October and November. Yeah, or something like that. Maybe both of them. Yeah, that was like right after like the Clay Thompson didn't foul hurter game. I want to say, or like right after it. One of the yeah, before it was or after they were like back to back games almost. Maybe not back to back, but they were really close together. Yeah, I think Brown said something after that game where he's like, "I don't care if I get fined for this, but that was a travel." And it was like that first time you're like, yeah, Brown doesn't really give a shit. Yeah. Although, you know what? A topic that I want to talk about that I just thought about. What the hell is up with Mike Brown's challenges? I think that there's been a lot of different points this season where it's been screwed up. But he had that terrible challenge where it's like he looks into Herter's eyes and Herter has that like, what the f*** are you talking about look in his eye to the ref. And Mike Brown just believes him. I think he had like two instances like that in the Dallas game. The first one was a successful challenge in the second one. And I don't even think he really checked with his bench too much, at least on the first one, which ended up being right to his credit. But then early into the Memphis game, there was something knocked out of bounds, I think. Herder gives that look in his eye, which is a funny look. It's just like, it's like that dead look in his eye. He's like, you serious? You did this to me? And, and Mike Brown just goes, yeah, no, challenge it. And it's just this terrible challenge. And I think like there was a, a moment where I think Sabonis got called for a foul, maybe battling for a box out even though he got hit in the mouth and had a bloody mouth. And then I think there was another moment where it looked like Keegan Murray had drawn a charge mm-hmm. and he got called for a block. And it's like, those were two yep. easily challengeable plays. You could have had both of those. And he didn't. And there have been moments, and I feel like this conversation kind of went away. Because I remember, I think, in December at one point, there were a few games there where it was like, what the heck? And it's like, this is going to be a topic on the podcast. But then it went away for a few games. and But now it's surfacing again. And there's been a lot of just moments where it's like, what the heck are the Kings doing with their challenges sometimes? And I don't know if it's an issue. Exactly. I don't know if it's an issue of too much trust in the players, if there's not enough time for teams to really assess, or if there needs to be some Yeah, what's the rule there? I don't know. I mean, like, it feels like it's just they kind of just move at the same speed, and if the next play starts, you just ran out of time. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's, it's, I don't know it's weird, and I don't know. I don't know what the issue is. I don't know if it's just Brown. I don't know if it's Brown and the staff. I, is is it just kind of him flipping a coin, and you know we're gonna get mad when he's wrong, and we're not gonna say anything when he's right. I mean that's fair too, but I don't know. It's just that 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 Memphis one. Just over the last two games, with it was like three things that hurt. Like Herder had the same look in his eye, had the same reaction, and Brown just went for it each time, and he was one for one for three. I don't know. It's just weird. I don't know if there's. It, it seems like more thought needs to be put into this because that was that was such a bad challenge in Memphis. Yeah, Brown's he's been just notoriously bad this year. It's like, dude, stop challenge. I, I hate anytime he challenges like a king's foul. Like, just stop it. Like, it's a foul every day. Like even marginal contact, I get it. Like in like a the fast pace game probably shouldn't be a foul. But when you slow it down and they just have to break it down to technicalities. Like, it's going to be a foul every time. Unless it's, the, yeah. they literally do not touch him. It's so annoying. It's just like, you're going to lose this. You're going to lose it. Stop it. Just save it. Yeah. <laughs> At that rate. You suck. The burden of, the burden of proof is so, like, not in your favor. You have to, you have to overturn the call. You know, it's just like that whole rule of challenging. It's not just like. Yeah. It has to be like the proof. What do they call it? Like, on. Uh, clear and conclusive evidence. Yeah, I think is what clear, it was yeah. in baseball. Mm-hmm. Or even just football, too, right? Yeah. Undeniable. So, I don't know. Brown's got to get better. It is also, like, to be fair, it's like, you know, Brown gets thrown out in Milwaukee. He's he's fighting for his guys, you know? He's, 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 oh, you reacted that way to that? I'm going to, I'm going to challenge it. Like, maybe there's something to this, but I don't know. You can't just kind of go with your heart and neglect your head for so, you know, for that long. I mean. That was such a dumb challenge. That's just like such a blatantly stupid challenge within like, I don't even think like a minute had passed by in the game. No, it was like 45 seconds. Yeah. And then, yeah, two clear instances where you could have challenged later in the game and you probably would have won them. And it's just like, man, not much more to say on that than that, but it's just, again, something to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like in terms of topics, it's like Sabonis another double double. But <laughs> <laughs> I think He's it's interesting. Great. Fox matched matched his career high, which was last season's 119 made threes. He got that in what 39 games this season when he got it in 73 games last season. Clearly shooting a better clip from there, limiting his mid-range opportunities, keeping his interior opportunities about the same, and just turning those mid-range opportunities into three-point opportunities, forcing guys to go over screens and opening up more options. I mean, it's just, it's great. I mean, there's not much, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I hate like focusing on something that everybody's got the same analysis for. I think it's just funny. Like last week we were talking about <laughs> like how bad everything was looking. And I'm not saying it's just like turned around like a 180 completely yet. But I mean, it's just <laughs> so much positives this week. I mean, Sabonis, like you said, 28 straight double doubles. Uh, coming off a 20 and 26 game, the tight Chris Rubbers Sacramento record. You know, you got Fox, who's just you know coming out of his slump. And he's already passed his career high in May 3s. You have Davion Mitchell, who's been playing really well had a pretty good game against the Warriors shooting the ball from deep and it's just it's just so funny it's just at the difference a week can make right so yeah except I mean like I if I was just, I would just say you know it's like well they played the Warriors when the Warriors were playing the second of a back-to-back Dallas was playing the second of a back-to-back they played Memphis I, I want to see them I mean yeah I'm not taking anything away from them going on a grueling road trip but it's just like it was like how we felt after the Atlanta one. It's like, okay, yeah, they ended their losing streak, but it's like, so what? Like, yeah. you should win that game. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, it's it's intriguing, though. I mean, you want to have this kind of push and this, this, this pull back and forth because it makes it intriguing. And the Kings are such an intriguing team because they are clearly very good, but it's like, how good are they? Mm-hmm. How far are they going to go? Mm-hmm. So, story continues, I guess. Hey. Yeah, it does. We'll see. We'll see. Again, they still have four games left of their road trip. They don't have an easy schedule going forward either. I mean, it's just going to keep getting tougher and tougher. It seems like before the All-Star break, we take on the Heat um, today, then the Pacers Friday, the Bulls Saturday. Um, These are all on the road. The Cavs on Monday. That ends their road trip. Come back home, face the Pistons. And then you face the Nuggets, the Thunder, the Suns, the Nuggets and within a four-game span. That's going to be a tough little stretch right there. So we'll see, mm-hmm. especially after a road trip, too. So see if the Kings can keep in it. I mean, what's their standing right now? I think they've climbed back up to the fifth spot. Fifth in the yeah. conference, yeah. Dang, the Thunder are above us. It's so weird. It's like the Thunder are above us, and we just beat them twice. Beat them twice. I'm just not worried about the Thunder. It's they just don't scare me. It's interesting because, like, the Timberwolves, it's split 1-1. The Nuggets, you won a game, but it's like they were second of road back-to-back. Didn't, they didn't have Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. Thunder, you beat twice. Clippers, you lost to twice, right? Um, it, yeah, it got destroyed. It's just, like, it's it's so interesting, like, the, 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 the makeup of the West. And then even you go below mm-hmm. the Kings. It's like, Pelicans are the eighth seed? Yeah, it's the like. Pelicans are the eighth seed? Every time the Kings like, play what? the Pelicans, you <laughs> think they were the number one in the conference. You know, dude, right? The Rockets are under yeah. five hundred now. <laughs> yeah. The Jazz are on the up and up, as you noted last week. The Lakers are a five hundred team. I mean, that's kind of—I don't know. It's <laughs> the West is so interesting. There's so much. It, it seems so matchups based. It's like, yeah, the Kings versus the Mavericks, Thunder, even the Suns and Timberwolves, maybe, and even the Nuggets to a certain extent. It's like I feel like the Kings could win that series, but it's like the Kings against the Clippers or the Pelicans. Like, I don't know. I was outright betting. Against <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Dude, hard to rank these teams. But credit, yeah, credit to Minnesota. Weird. They've stayed at the top of the conference for pretty much the whole time. But I know they really have. I'm sur- I haven't really looked at standing. This was, I'm still surprised they're in first place. But hey, good for them. So that Rudy Gobert trade didn't just look like yeah shit, really no seriously. It was kind of. I was talking to a Minnesota fan, a guy from like, he was from Minnesota. And, like, they're, like, the most – they just love basketball. They're like, what do you think about Minnesota? Like, just, like, what do you think? Why do you think they don't talk about us? It's probably the same thing with the Kings, right? They're like, yeah, man. Like, aren't you, like, 30? Like, why are you talking like a kid? Like, they're just so filled with passion <laughs> for the game. So, I, I, I – seeing Minnesota do well, it's like, okay, those people up in Minnesota deserve it. 
<laughs> it's cold yeah, up there. Fair enough. Yeah, you live in Minnesota. So, but we'll see. See if the Kings can keep climbing. Not because they were falling for a second. They went all the way down to the seventh into the play-in for a second. So, yeah, I think the goal, at least for the regular season, is not to get that play-in because anything can happen there. And I mean, there's teams like the Pelicans and the Rockets in that play-in who seem to have your number this year. So we'll see. Yeah. They're hungry. You have to expend more energy. It just sets you back. There's really no chance to win a championship as a playoff team or as a playing team. It's more like just yeah. for fun. Yeah, it really just is. Entertainment value. But yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> is it for the podcast or the playing? <laughs> that's it. No, yeah, that's it for everything. That's that's it. We're that's the end of King's Talk <laughs> forever. That's in the King's Talk. We're done. Last episode, episode eighty six. We're eighty sixth. Perfect. Hey, 86. Too bad we couldn't time this up for like a playoff, like exit for somebody. Yeah, for real. Like episode Episode 86. The Mavericks 86 by the Kings or the Kings 86 by the the Clippers or something. We're just a few months off. Yeah. Just a few. We'll try to get there with 186. There we go. Just knock out like for a week for the next three months <laughs> little 15 minute episode yeah so we talked yesterday and uh i mean some people do that i guess sports talk yeah so radio it's possible it's possible i don't know if we're that interesting though but i don't think anybody's but... that interesting <laughs> <laughs> fair enough but all right well let's let's stop you know dragging our feet john anything you wrap this talk up with this King's uh, Talk, as they uh, call it. <laughs> King's Talk has concluded. That's all I can say. All right. Well, as always, I want to thank you for tuning in. And until next time, have a good one. <laughs>